0: and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeGioia, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, is Kevin McKenna, Phil Burgess, and Tony Pedregon, the three wise men giving us insider intel. Erica
1: Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World
2: Champion
0: in stunning fashion. It's Auto Club Finals Week, baby. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polachek for the first time in his career.
1: This is the NHRA Insider.
0: Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28, 10 thousands to the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey, everybody. Brian Loans here with a final race week installment of 2021 of the NHRA Insider Podcast. It is Auto Club Finals Week, the final race of the 2021 NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series. And because of that, because of everything on the line, because of all the implications, because of the things to come after the finals, my guests this week are the deepest of the deep as far as the insiders go, Kevin McKenna, senior editor of National Dragster, Phil Burgess, the editorial director of the NHRA, and finally, Tony Pedragon, my right-hand man, the analyst on our NHRA on Fox broadcast. This is going to be a fun show. These guys have opinions, they have knowledge, they have information, and certainly they each have a unique take on what is to come at these Auto Club Finals in Pomona, California. It is going to be an incredible race and one that has been really building and brewing on so many levels throughout the season and leads us into an offseason that will be explosive, will be interesting, will be full of tension and, uh, frankly, stories that are just almost beyond belief when it comes to the sport of NHRA racing and off-season likes of which we've not really seen in a decade, and we'll touch on some of that stuff with our guests today. I'd go into a monologue like I usually do, but I'm not going to do that today because uh, these conversations with these guys are the meat of the order. Anything I have to say will be said during these conversations, and without further ado, we're going to get right into it here with our first guest, National Dragster Senior Editor Kevin McKenna. Kevin, it's been one heck of a season. I know you're excited to get to Pomona, California. How you doing, man?
2: Uh, I'm doing great. It's hard to believe we're uh... – this close to the finish line on the the 2021 season but uh, here we are. Yeah, man, there
0: are times where it's like man, we're never going to get there and now we kind of are there and it's like oh, it's over now. <laughs> it's a very strange thing.
2: Yeah, you, I think you alternate between uh god these seasons are so long to I can't believe it's almost over. It seems like we were just in Gainesville a few weeks ago.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think I, I don't know, I can only speak for myself, but when we look at the the actual setup for this particular NHRA finals, it is um It is phenomenal. I mean, I don't know if it's phenomenal for the competitors, but for anybody who's a a fan, a spectator, or I guess like us, uh, almost paid spectators, this is as good as it gets.
2: Yeah, I would hope if you're a competitor, even if you feel the pressure, uh, this should be what you live for. Uh, Certainly I would rather be feeling the the heat of being in a championship battle than uh, being the guy watching from outside.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, what's funny is there's so much stuff – going on, what's bizarre to me is like as much as I'm looking forward to the finals, the next, let's call it, three weeks to a month after the finals, I may be looking forward to that in in a different way, but almost with more anticipation than I ever have.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I hate to keep teasing uh, your your listeners, but uh, it it is going to be epic. If if a tenth of the rumors that we're hearing come true, uh, it's going to probably radically alter the, the entire dynamic of the sport. And if, you know, 60, 70, 80 percent come true, uh, people won't uh, even know what to do with themselves. It uh, this is almost an unprecedented time for uh, for change, for hopefully growth. uh, just, there just seems like there's some really fascinating and some really good stuff coming down the pike.
0: Yeah. I mean, the whole thing's uh, in my mind to, to kind of put a point on what you said. It's set to go off kind of like a bottle rocket, even if, you know, again, we hear rumors and some of them are founded, some of them end up being unfounded. But as you said, even if a, a percentage of these things actually comes true, oh my God. And even today, I mean, we're making this show on the Tuesday before the finals and, you know, the uh, the announcement of, of the Jonas Salinas and, and Jimmy Underdahl uh, riders, the Scrappers uh, pro stock motorcycle team now will fall under the Matt Smith Racing Camp, which, again, had been rumored for a while. And uh, we know they did some riding uh, the test in Vegas, but now it's official. And I was kind of surprised they made the announcement now. And I know that Gianna and, and Jimmy have been off the bikes for a little while, but uh, pretty wild that even that is breaking before the season's even over.
2: Yeah, that, that's just you know that's just one of the dominoes that, that looks to line up uh, between now and, oh, I'd say uh, the PRI show in about a month of uh, – uh, like we mentioned, some really unprecedented team movement, uh, team swapping, driver swapping, crew chief swapping. Uh, it's just, uh, there's a lot going on, and, and, and I'd have to think that uh, most of it is, is good for the overall health of the sport.
0: So, as we uh, just kind of entree a little bit of Pro Stock Motorcycle there as we begin our discussion of these finals, I want to start with Pro Stock Motorcycle. And while he is not the points leader, I feel like this is Steve Johnson's championship to lose at this point.
2: Uh, potentially, you know, he, I, I think you could argue at any given moment, does Steve have the best bike or does Matt Smith have the best bike? They're pretty close, and I think when Steve is, is on his game, uh, that that bike is really, really good as we've seen in his three wins, but if you're looking at a pattern of consistency over about the last two and a half years, uh, it's kind of hard to go against Matt's bike. I mean, he, he seems to be a uh, uh, the guy who gobbles up most of the qualifying points um but uh, again to your point uh, yeah i think if if steve does what he does what he did in vegas then he's going to be really hard to stop
0: yeah and and honestly and i've had this conversation with steve the, the times that he's really stumbled especially in the countdown they've been they've been self-inflicted problems quite literally i guess till we talk about his, his team but you know when we look at when that bike hasn't been great it's been because of things that that they've kind of done to themselves as opposed to any sort of systemic issue. So, you know, if if he has in fact, navigated that storm, which I mean, to me, to me, the guy was dead and buried. When we look at what happened in, in Dallas and Bristol, it's like this mm-hmm. guy's this guy's up to creek. And all of a sudden, it's like Vegas, the, the old the old team returned, if you will. He had all of his people back and he rode the thing like it should be ridden and And to me, it's like, let's not discount what role Karen Stouffer could play in this race, too, because obviously she's been playing a very hot hand recently, too.
2: Yeah, we're we're probably overstating uh, or oversimplifying things here. But this is, it it just has the feel that it's going to come down to a mistake. Um, You know, I I could see, you know, include Angel in this, you know, one of these riders making a mistake, whether it's a tuning mistake or a riding mistake, that kind of takes them out and opens the door for, for the other ones, because they're all very capable of winning the race. You know, even Angel's bike has been really, really fast, but, uh, as far as consistency, uh, you know, none of them are on the level of Steve Torrance. Um, you know, it, oh, sure. it wouldn't be totally surprising to see one of the riders in contention take an early loss. Uh, you know, again, you know, a red light first round, a tuning error, the bike doesn't, uh, make it to the finish line under power. You know, the faster these bikes go, they seem to be a little more fickle and you never know when one of those things is going to step up and bite you. And and, and I really think we, we may have a championship battle that rivals what we saw in 2019 with, you know, Andrew Hines practically having a heart attack after going out first round <laughs> and miraculously holding on, uh, you know, when Gianna won the entire race, you know, we may have that level of madness, uh, Coming up here this weekend,
0: and you know this sport. You've been around it your whole life, me too. And it's like this sport does, whether it's a short term or long term, have this way of of having these kind of poetic situations come up. And again, I'm not rooting against Angel. I think she has as good a shot as either the other two guys. But in terms of pure storytelling, if we end up on Sunday afternoon with Steve Johnson and Matt Smith sitting there, it, it is just it is you can't you can't script it. I mean, you know, Matt Smith unequivocally. Um, you know, was antagonizing Steve Johnson seasons ago. And I think it, it may have been the best thing that ever happened to Steve Johnson, to be honest, as uncomfortable as it made him at the time, it made him reevaluate everything he was doing. And now uh, for the first time in decades, we're actually talking about this guy with a legitimate shot to win the whole thing.
2: Yeah. Well, and and don't forget, uh, it's a little more past history, but Angel and Steve Johnson have also had uh, yes th- th- their share of run-ins. There's, there was a time when uh, – uh, they might not have, uh, I don't know, shown each other the proper level of respect. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think yeah, there was a time when you could argue that, uh, they were each other's biggest rival. And, and I'm sure a lot of that hasn't been forgotten. And, you know, again, you're talking about the last race of the year, the gloves come off. You, you, you do anything and everything you can. And if it includes being an antagonist, uh, so be it. You know, that that's, if that's what you need to do to win the championship, um, I think you may see a little bit of that as well.
0: The one thing that's, that Johnson absolutely unequivocally has working against him is the fact that he is an island out there. He's one man on one motorcycle versus two teams that have other resources at their disposal that they can get more creative with and qualify, and they can seek matchups, they can try to do some stuff. He simply, and, and maybe this makes his life a little simpler, when you know the job is win the race as opposed to let's see if we can get this bike to qualify here and this bike to qualify here, uh, maybe maybe I'm overthinking it, but, but I do feel like it does put him at, his, at a disadvantage to effectively be racing a three-bike Matt Smith team and a three-bike Vance and Heinz
2: team. Well, your, your, your point is absolutely valid, but it's also a little bit muted by the fact that we've got 15 bikes on the entry list. So if you qualify number one, you have pulled Blanca's golden ticket right out of the candy bar. Uh, that means a first-round buy run there's no reason for any of the leaders to even try to sandbag or play a qualifying game. Uh, You win the poll, you are going to the second round. And I think all three of them uh, should and do have their eye on that.
0: Makes total sense. We uh, transition into the pro stock car category and this, you know, I mean, this will be, to me, like drag racing chess played in a way that I don't think we've ever seen played before. Now, to your point, I feel like it behooves Certainly behooves Greg Anderson to try to go out there and, and swallow up as many qualifying points as he can because he needs to maintain at least a thirty point lead over over Erica. But really after that, all bets are off.
2: Yeah, I mean there, there's no motivation whatsoever for Greg or Erica to, to drop back in the field and give it anything less than their best effort. That being said, you've got about a half dozen uh drivers behind them that have every motivation to to drop back and uh you know, we, we may be looking at a fifteen second bump spot here uh just because i i could easily yeah. see they're going to out, see... they're gonna
0: try to outslow each other especially that that first round is going to be like the, it's going to be bizarre
2: it is it, it is it, it it might be a, a level of uh monkey business that w- that we've never seen just to try to manipulate the ladder and you know whether you're manipulating it for your own purposes to to give you know your driver a break or to 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 get on the other side um You know, again, there's no rule against it, um, at least not the qualifying game. So I I could see uh, quite a bit of that going on. And, you know, it's all a a big, you know, you've got a lot of chess pieces moving. And uh, we'll see where it all shakes out Saturday night and into Sunday. I
0: mean, these are smart people, so I'm not saying anything that they haven't thought of yet. But the ultimate way to find your way to number 16 is to not make it to the finish line.
2: Absolutely.
0: And so that would be the ultimate example of this. And for those of you listening at home, if you're unfamiliar during a qualifying run, if your car breaks and you're unable to finish the run, you're given a default 28 second elapsed time. So, you know, I, again, I, I would thinking of all these things. And to me, that's like the ultimate nuclear option. But you can only achieve that in the first round. The only way you're going to you're going to do that is in the first round, because if you've recorded even a 19 second elapsed time before that, you're going to default <laughs> to that one. So. Will we see it? That would be, that would be truly incredible if somebody actually pulls that stunt off. Oh, I lost oil pressure, or something happened, or I shut it off because it didn't feel right, or whatever. Um, that to me is the ultimate move, and and I don't know if anybody's got the got the balls enough to pull it, but it's certainly on the table.
2: Well, we we do have seventeen cars on the entry list, so that mutes that strategy to to a degree. Uh, I, I don't think you can take a twenty eight.
0: You're right. And, and, That's a good and point. Get on there,
2: um, but you know we had 17 cars in las vegas uh one of them broke so you know there there's that too of just how slow do you need to go you know and, and the other thing that there's there's not there's not an actual guarantee that erica or greg will be number 1 so maybe you don't want to be 16th maybe yeah. maybe it's in your best interest to be 13 14 15th um and again you know this is all you have to process this information in real time Based on how each qualifying session goes, wh- where you think the best spot to be is, and um, yeah, this uh, well, one thing I can guarantee you that, that this will not uh, threaten the record Pro Stock bump, even in the EFI era.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's an absolute fact. And again, it's it's going to be totally fascinating to watch. And then the real histrionics will start on uh, will start on Sunday when when the matchups uh, kind of are are played out in the ladder, and we see how this whole thing runs down. Um, of course we got to go to funny car and, and this is, um, you know, this has been just an astonishing year. It's been, it's been everything that to me, any, everything funny car racing should be is what we saw this year with all these different guys having the, having the, the championship points lead, a couple guys reeling off a couple in a row and then falling off the table. You have, you know, Cruz Bedragon, the, the Lazarus of, of funny car racing has returned. Um, granted, you know, he's the outside shot here, but as we saw in Vegas, you know, as we saw in Vegas, if 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 anything in the first round is to play out like it did in Vegas, Cruz Pedregon is absolutely capable of stealing the whole thing.
2: Uh, he is, and before we even get to that, let, 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 let's address this, that uh, you talk about the parity in the class. Nine of the top ten have won at least one race this year.
0: Yeah.
2: And uh, actually the top nine in points. And yeah, the, the, the championship is basically out of reach for people like John Force and J.R. Todd, but you can't argue that they haven't had somewhat successful seasons. Oh, absolutely. And back and, and back to your point, you know, Cruz being 83 points back, th- th- that's tricky. You know, that's the equivalent of three rounds. But th- th- this is Funny Car, and we see all sorts of crazy, bizarre things where, you know, if Caps or Hagen goes out early, then th- that absolutely opens the door wide for him. And, um, you know, you... You probably won't see the, the the sort of manipulation you're going to see in pro stock. It's just,
0: it's too hard. I mean, to some yeah. degree, and we got twenty of them, and that so that like you talked about in pro stock with seventeen. With twenty, you have even a, a more prickly situation to try to find your way down there. Because listen, and Alex Miladinovic, uh, um, uh, Chris Morrell, um, you, you, you go down the list of the independents, Tony Geraldo, all these guys can, if not, they're not going to run low et the meat, but they're going to make representative runs.
2: Now, and, and here's the thing you, you don't just have 20 cars on the entry list <clears throat> you've got 18 19 maybe even all 20 that are pretty darn good that as you said you know are, are, are gonna be capable of going uh, a four zero, maybe a 390 if conditions are right uh, you, you you know just qualifying number one two or three that doesn't automatically punch your ticket to the second round uh, I think whoever does survive this is really gonna have to earn it
0: in the event that Ron Caps wins uh, his second world championship, how how greatly does that affect the kind of overall legacy of this guy's career? To me, I think it's enormous. I think it. I think when you take him from a a single time champion, which is almost bizarre that he's only a single time champion, and turn him into a multi time champion, it, it definitely it definitely fits his resume better, right? Yeah, and,
2: and a lot of times your legacy isn't sealed until. You're done racing. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's when you look back five or 10 years after somebody's retired and thought, wow, that guy really had a great career. And, and I think that's kind of where we're at with Ron. You know, to a certain degree, he's been overshadowed by the greatness of John Force. You know, the multiple championships by Hagen and the Pedragon brothers and um, people like that that he's raced with and Robert Height. Um, but at the end of the day, you are going to remember Ron Caps as one of the best guys ever to wheel a funny car. Uh, it will be a lot easier to make that case. Should he win a second championship? Uh, he still needs his U S nationals victory, which, you know, hopefully he still got, uh, a few shots to do that. Um, but you know, he, he more or less is in the driver's seat, you know, 58 points uh, given the point structure in Pomona is not a huge lead, but uh, I think everybody else in the field would happily trade places with him and come in with that sort of an advantage.
0: Yeah, and not to dip uh, back fully into pro stock, but this kind of this kind of ties together with funny car. We mentioned, you know, the Matt Smith story in pro stock motorcycle as a kind of a breaking news piece regarding a little bit of a certainly a, a big kind of uh, shift in that class of where some of the where some of the riders are going and how they're going to go there. Um, in pro stock, Camry Caruso is coming in and and she'll be racing full time. And I have it on very solid authority that that's actually going to be a two-car team with potential to be three or four cars when they really get their feet under them. So, you know, the 17-car situation, um, which is low for this season. I mean, we've been averaging about 20 of those things uh, over the course of the year. But as you know, late in the year, some people decide to pack it in early. Um, The addition of Camry is one thing. The addition of Camry and somebody else is another. And then if we start adding a third and fourth car on there, again, complete class change dynamic and adding these Really solid cars and the, the Titan racing engine's connection to gray motorsports means that they're going to have horsepower. Um, in the funny car category, we know that there are massive announcements coming. PRI show is going to be a place where a lot of that news is going to break. But again, we, we see this splintering. And to me, the splintering of these of these teams into their own entities is monstrous. It changes everything. When you're not out there trying to trying to race for the common good and only for yourself, it makes this a much better sport.
2: It, it does. And, uh, you know, it, it, on the surface, it might be hard to believe that the, the, the big multi-car team isn't the best business model, but we're seeing that it, that maybe it isn't, um, that, but by running a smaller leaner operation, you can bring the price point down. You can offer, um, you know, you're, you're not looking for the huge, huge dollars for sponsors. You, you can piece together three or four, what would normally be associates and, and, and make it happen. And, uh, yeah, I, I think you know to your point uh it's not just that but the, the part-time guys have all stepped up their game yes. dramatically yes you know there, there really is almost no such thing as a leaker anymore the they're just they just aren't you know I think almost every car that shows up is capable of you know 14s 40s and and a lot of times that's enough to get the job done
0: the top fuel race is obviously the one that's most spread out. It's um, not a foregone conclusion, but it kind of is. If we, It's not a foregone conclusion uh, on the abacus, but it, it may be a foregone conclusion if we just simply look at, at recent history. Um, really, all Steve Torrance needs to do is kind of show up and, and stage for the first round, basically, as, as I understand it, to, to capture the title. Um, and who's to say? You never know what's going to happen, but it does certainly seem to me that, uh, that he has this well in hand.
2: You know, you're absolutely correct. If it was anybody other than Steve Torrance, you might see a glimmer of hope. But as much as any team in the sport, they just seem to make the fewest mistakes of anyone. He rarely makes a driving mistake. The car rarely smokes the tires or does anything crazy. Uh, I I think they're going to come in and they're going to do their normal job of qualifying one, two, three, four. Um, They're going to almost certainly beat whoever they run in the first round. And we will have a break in the action while uh, they celebrate a championship.
0: Um, yeah, I think one of the compelling stories to look at is obviously Steve locking up a championship's the biggest, but Mike Salinas has a has a good shot at running into Brittany for the number two position. I mean, he's not that far behind her, and you know, again, in the event he goes, I think he only needs to go around or two ahead of her to uh, to move into the number two spot, which would be an incredible accomplishment for that team.
2: Yeah, and if you look at what Mike Salinas has done here, oh my God, uh, since the start of the countdown, uh, I mean, we, we don't we don't have a most improved award. But maybe we should, and I think he would be pretty much a lock for it. Um, not only is that car, you know, running the sort of numbers that you know it's it's only maybe a quarter step behind what Brittany's car does consistently, and uh, his driving is is you know whatever he's found, I I'd, I'd like a little bit myself. He credits,
0: um, uh, you know, he gives a, a, he basically gives all the credit to Jose Gonzalez and. and he- during the last race, uh, he won first round, and he was very open about talking about Jose. So I started texting Jose as we were making our show saying, dude, I don't know what you told this guy, but whatever you told him or whatever procedures you've given him have, have completely reinvigorated him. And, you know, Jose wasn't giving me the you know the specifics, but he basically said, you know, this is a guy who certainly has the ability within him and he just needed some i guess mental direction and some even i guess some physical direction on what to be doing before he straps the helmet on before he sits in that race car and well he does and my god the guy's reaction time average went went basically half from the regular season into the playoffs it's just ridiculous
2: yeah yeah and, and, and he's been you know consistently better it, it, it's it's almost every round um and i'm guessing when you um I'm not guessing. This is a fact. When you're able to give your tuners that sort of a performance and that sort of data, it makes their job so much easier to get the car down the track. You know, and and when you're winning rounds, you know, when you go to an event and you have three qualifying runs and three or four Sunday runs to to catalog and disseminate all that data, uh, you're going to be that much stronger going to the next race, uh, just because you have more information than the teams that didn't win um, a handful of rounds.
0: And, you know, again, our little forward look segment here in this conversation, we know Tony Schumacher's coming back. Um, There are, you know, rumblings that there may be a second car coming out of DSR, whether that's a funny car or top fueler, we don't know yet. Um, We know that Lee is obviously going to be with Tony Tony Stewart Racing along with Matt Hagen. We know that Krista Baldwin's going to try to run or she's planning on running half the schedule, if not more. Uh, Doug Foley is planning on running enough races to try to make the top ten, which means at least three-quarters of the schedule. And really, if if you're going to do it next year, you're probably going to have to run the full pole because when you look at the number of full-time cars we're going to have next year, you know Josh Hart was not a full-time car this year. He is. Uh, Some conversations at SEMA led me to believe that there's been some forward movement on getting Austin Prock back in the seat of his car. So Mm -hmm. to your point, when we started this conversation, this is a – I mean, this is in a completely different dynamic. And then, look, we can't not mention the fact that there's there's going to be, we believe the announcement's coming at Pomona, a very significant announcement involving uh, Coletta and what they're going to be doing as far as a crew chiefing uh, technical side of things. So, you know, those two cars, it... it it is a study and how this is not an easy thing to do, and, and it gets lost on a lot of fans, but when you see the, 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 the struggles that that team has had, the team that wants for nothing, that has been working their ass off to be better, it just shows you that it is possible to, to lose it and not be able to find it.
2: Yeah, it, it's baffling what has happened this year, because you generally think uh, slumps, especially among the bigger teams, the more well funded you know, they might last three, four or five races, not an entire season. Um, and, 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 as you said, it's not like they haven't tried to fix things. It's not like they haven't made changes, but I think at this point you take a step back, you make wholesale changes and come out swinging next year, uh, which obviously is their intention. And then, you know, all, all the names you mentioned previously, you've got a couple others. I, I think you look at Alex Laughlin who made some solid inroads this year. Uh, if he can line up some funding, uh, easy to imagine him doing, at least half know.
0: or three quarters of the schedule yeah, yeah
2: six eight ten twelve races uh i think i don't know how many races trip Tatum is planning on running but if i had that car it would be everywhere I, I could possibly afford it because that is a rocket ship that can absolutely win races um it, it's as good as any car out there so i think you know again don't know how many races they plan on running but it, it should be a fair number
0: and again, this is not hard. Numbers or locked down by any means, but my understanding with Tatum is also a guy who's planning on running the majority of the schedule. And to your point, you know that is not a that car is, is, is as badass as anything out there. That is not a hobby. That is not a hobby car per se. You know that is not a I do something on the side and I want to take my top fuel car out four or five times a year. That is a full kill, uh, letter rip. You know best of the best parts and everything else uh, scenario. And so yeah, I, I, again all these things we're touching on it's going to be just wild to watch them all play out over the course of the next several weeks. And I guess the question uh, last question I wanted to kind of leave you with is it, the legacy of Steve Torrance is is going to be championships, you know, he's going to probably a minimum of 4 of them depending on how things go on Sunday and who knows how many more after that. But when we look back 20 years down the road, is it out of line to say that it actually is Steve Torrance and the Capco team that has caused this sea change that we're going to see really? The tsunami wave is going to break this year, but I think it was him flapping his butterfly wings that started it.
2: Yeah, yeah, you, you, I think you could make that case. Uh, I think when, when they formed that team, you may have had people say, you know, what are you doing here? Do you really think you could compete with the Schumacher team and the Khalidas and, and all the multi car efforts? And obviously, they believed they could, they built a team that could. And if you look at what they've done in the last, uh, you know, four or five years, it's, it's as good a stretch as anyone has ever had between, you know, Joe Amato in the 90s, or actually Gary Beck in the 80s, Joe yeah. Amato in the 90s, uh, what Tony Schumacher did, you know, winning all those championships pretty much throughout his career. Th- that team absolutely stacks up uh, favorably to that. And, and, and one other quick word on top fuel. I think there was a little bit of head scratching when it was announced, but, You've got the all star shootout coming up yes. in Gainesville for top fuel. And I think some people sort of wondered why are you not keeping track of points now? Why is it just going to be the first two races of next season to set that field? Yeah. Well, if I have a competitive top fuel car, such as a Triptatum or really anybody, uh, I'm going to go to Pomona and Phoenix yep. and try my darndest to get into that thing. And I think what you're going to see. In fact, I wouldn't say I would pretty much bet money on it is uh, someone who, you know, typically you think of as a top 10 guy, not make it. And a part time guy who goes and runs those two races and does well uh, will be in that field racing for $80,000 when we get to Gainesville.
0: I agree, and that's that's you know in the history of this whole sport, when we look back at at whether we're talking shootout races or anything else, those are the things people remember and they key on. On those, you know the the Bobby Baldwin's of the world going to the semifinals. You know, I guess it was at Pomona years ago. The 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 runs that you have of people that are you know not the biggest household name, but being able to throw down with the big guys. And and yes, if we can slip one or two of those babies in there, it's going to make that
2: even that much better. Yeah. For, for sure. And and, and again, I, I think that that was not, um, you know, th- that was a point that wasn't overlooked when the format for that was announced and the scheduling of that. I think you thought, why don't we just jumble things up and let's run the first two races and let the chips fall where they may? And to me, that is far more entertaining than just essentially saying, well, let's take the top 10 from last year and let, or let the top eight guys come and and run for the big money. Uh, I would love nothing better than to see one of the smaller part-time teams uh cash a big check that might get them to another race or two.
0: Yeah, it's a it's effectively a shootout within a shootout. I mean, you got you have the long the long game shootout is the first two races and then the and then the actual event itself in Gainesville. So man, I'm excited. I know you are too. It's, um, it's going to be something. I hope you get your, uh, you know, hope you got your fingers all limbered up because so (laughs) between what your coverage of the finals and then what's going to be happening in the weeks ensuing after you're going to have plenty to write about in the dragster.
2: Yeah, no, uh, no real Thanksgiving vacation, uh, this year, (laughs) because I I, I think we're going to have, well, I already know, I've got got a list of things we're working on now, um, that, uh, you know, should be public. You know, obviously one of the big stories just broke as far as, uh, the creation of the AFX class, that is going to be big news. It's going to be very interesting to follow that, to see where it leads in the future. But uh, I, I know a lot of people we talk to are very excited about that. Um, and that is really honestly and truly just the tip of the iceberg as far as what's coming.
0: Kevin McKenna, Senior Editor National Dragster, thanks for laying on your opinions, and we're going to be catching up with your boss, Mr. Phil Burgess, in just a little while.
2: Well, would be, be interested to hear what he has to say as well. Thanks, Kevin. All
0: right, thank you. All right. After a great conversation with National Dragsters Kevin McKenna, we go to the editorial director for the NHRA, Phil Burgess. Phil, how you doing, man? Hey, good, Brian. How are you? Good. You know, this is always a moment of great anticipation every year coming into the uh, coming into the finals. But I feel like this year, it it feels different. It's carrying itself a different way. The implications of the race, and then certainly what we expect to be coming in the next couple of months, really have a big build up here.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of uh, other scenarios going on with you know. Where people are going next year and how they can finish finish out this year. Um, and a lot, of, you know, a lot, of drama, a lot of A lot of people want to uh, make good on stuff that maybe they didn't do so good earlier in the season. Or uh, feel like there's a, a little bit of a more intense rivalries going on here than than maybe in the past. There's some people that definitely want to show the other person uh, what they're made of.
0: And that's a fact. And you know, you've uh, you've been to a lot of these. You've seen a lot of these. And you know, where does this one maybe fall in your spectrum in terms in terms of what's on the line for people and and kind of what your anticipation level is for the weekend?
3: Yeah, I, I just like I said, I think in Top Fuel, you know, you got you got Steve and Brittany, and obviously, I don't want to say there's no love loss between them, but they've been trading back and forth, and Steve's been doing the winning. Brittany's obviously got the the better car. I think uh, she feels like she's really got something to prove. It's going to be a long road for her. I mean, uh, you know. She's pretty much got to get to the finals to have a chance. And, you know, the the, uh, the, whole, the whole deal on funny car, you know, Caps and Hagen, you know, the the, the battle of, you know, the, the DSR, whatever's going to happen there. And, you know, and Cruiser trying to win his third thing. I think there's, there's just so much, so many subplots going into this that it's going to make it interesting.
0: When we, you know, we'll start with Top Fuel, just chat about that because you brought it up. And. It's such a bizarre scenario when we look at Britney Force's season, only in the fact that the car has been so good, just obviously historically dominating and qualifying throughout the year. Uh, one race win. And, you know, when you when the big book of, of 2021 is written, it almost seems insane to say that, that these guys are going to be disappointed with the season, but how can they not be, right?
3: Right. Like I said, you know, Steve, Steve's been in first place, you know, since Vegas, the first Vegas other than Charlotte. Uh, second Charlotte, where she beat him uh, in the semifinals and took the points lead for a short time, but you know, you know that that, that just got that car on kill, and it's just the good car. And Brittany's just had a little problems on, on Sundays, and I know, you know, she's in front of the hometown crowd, she wants to make good on that. And you know, Steve, of course, just wants to become the four-time champ, join that uh, short list of guys
0: you know when we look at the off season that will be coming and you know I'm not trying to place any additional pressure or whatever on Britney but I think she's going to go into this off season I would argue with probably more motivation to come out swinging on a personal level in February than maybe she ever has had and and I don't necessarily think think that's a bad thing I think sometimes when when we look at this sport when we look at how people are performing and what they're doing over the long haul Sometimes you need this, and I'm not saying she's not putting effort in because I know she is. She's she's killing herself, and the emotion in her voice when you know Salinas had the light of his career against her in Las Vegas, the, <laughs> the emotion in her voice was very palpable. But you know that that team becomes instantaneously more dangerous if she can pick up two hundreds on her average reaction time. All of a sudden, we're talking about a totally different car.
3: Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you know she's been doing she, she, she's been putting in the work. You know, we saw her in Vegas, you know, against Salinas. you mentioned that she cuts a fifty-eight, which is a great light for a lot of people and for her especially. And Selena scores 27 on her. Uh, you know, I don't know how, how you defend against that. But, you know, she's been putting in the work. I know she know, We've seen Frank Hotley hang around with her a lot, which is always a good idea. Um, I, yeah, I think she comes out 2022, you know, looking to get that title back.
0: I want to bounce to Pro Stock Motorcycle because you brought up something about rivalries and personal rivalries. And I think when we look at the three motorcycles and the three riders that are in really the contention to win the championship here, of course, we're talking Smith, Angel, and, and Steve Johnson. You know, all three of them have had and continue to have some interpersonal rivalries going. And, and it was certainly, you know, acrimonious, uh, openly acrimonious between Steve and, and Matt Smith a couple of years ago. And, and I mentioned this to McKenna and I'm interested in your take. I think that that was a, a positive turning point in Steve Johnson's career, because I feel like when he and Matt got into it a couple of years ago, it forced Steve to, to do things and think about things differently than he ever had before.
3: Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. You know, you know Steve's been around longer than anybody else in the class. But, you know, he's not had a championship bike. You know, I can never really recall. You know, he's won, you know, some races, but he's never been in that discussion. He comes out this year with something improved. You know, hits on a great combination with, you know, the cylinder head he's got and and the bike. And, you know, obviously here's a guy that's never won the championship. He's been racing since, you know, since since we put him on two wheels. And, you know, the thing, the whole dust up with him, Matt, the hobby racer, the whole bit. I think uh, Steve wanted to come out and prove that, that he is anything but a hobby racer, that he can win a championship. And I think that uh, to beat Matt Smith for that title, I think that'll give him an extra, extra push. It'll make it a little sweeter if he can get it done.
0: We got a window, a window that we really never had into Steve Johnson's intensity and, and really attack here. We know that the guy races hard and he works hard. And you know his interviews are, are sometimes nonsensical and sometimes just filled with complete non sequiturs. But what we saw in Charlotte when he hit the block. And his reaction to that—I mean, I've never seen the guy. I've never seen the guy angry. Period. And then I saw him furious, and it told me something about him that maybe I was questioning as to where his heart was. And boy, oh boy, we saw where his heart was after that.
3: Yeah, I agree. You know, he's always kind of been the clown prince for the class. You know, just the, yeah. you know, they their best spokesman. But you know, kind of a, a unique personality, and you know, his top end celebrations and talking to the Wally and the whole—and that—that's just his deal but and so i think a lot of people maybe overlooked him for a long time you know the guy's won the u.s nationals before um so you know he knows how to win um and so but, you know having the bike and having the confidence under him um yeah i think it's, it's brought out a whole new steve johnson
0: and, and let's bring angela into the conversation obviously she is uh third and just a just a, a breath behind steve johnson in the points still very capable of winning the championship and you know, we've seen her at her best over the course of the season. We've seen her make mistakes, like we see all riders make. But you know, when it comes right down to it, I feel like her head is different in coming into this finals than it would have been before. I think she's well past the idea of being, you know, not up with the motorcycle. I think she's, I think she's passed a lot of those mental hurdles, and she needs to be right because Matt Smith does not carry any of that baggage.
3: Right, right, yeah, absolutely. I think Angel's got a lot. I think she feels she's got something to prove. I mean, the, the and Hines team, you know, recruited her uh, a couple of seasons ago and put that faith in her where maybe she maybe lost a little bit of that faith in herself. And, you know, she certainly, you know, learned how to, had to learn, how to, had to learn how to ride the Harley. And, and now she's back in business again. And I think that, that she's got something to prove and, you know, you know, Matt's had the, you know, the best bike hands down throughout the year. As far as, you know, I mean, look at that 205 on hour blast in Sonoma. You yeah. And I never thought we'd see, um, but, you know, this is a different Angele than the one she won championships before. I think she's matured a lot, and I think this one will mean, you know, maybe as much to her, if not more, than the first one.
0: Strategic approach-wise, uh, I feel like we have seen Steve Johnson's hand. I don't know if we've actually seen – I think we've begun to see the Vance and Hines hand. We saw that bike go a 72 at Gainesville, and then it kind of receded, but – you know, and Matt Smith's the same way. I think when we look at Vance and Hines and Matt Smith, you know, as much as they want to claim to be dissimilar, there are similarities in the way they race, and they really don't necessarily show the cards until they really need to show them. And, of course, this weekend there is absolutely no reason not to show them all.
3: Yeah, it makes you wonder. I mean, you know, Eddie, you know, is obviously still mathematically in the hunt, but you, you got to wonder they're putting their full resources behind Angel. You know, all every bit of effort and concentration into making that bike as good as, good as it can be. Um, you know, I don't know whether we've seen the true potential of that. It's going to be warmer here this weekend than I hope it it's going to be. It's going to be high 80s. Um, so that, you know, that, that could uh, be an equalizer on some fronts, but uh, it's going to be exciting to watch.
0: It really will be. And, you know, I, I brought the scenario up to, up to McKenna, but it's like, I'm not rooting against Angel, not saying anything negative in that respect, but. There would be some real great poetry if it came down to, to Matt Smith and Steve Johnson in the final round. And, you know, obviously yeah. for, for, for their own reasons, each guy would want that probably more than any final they've ever wanted in their life.
3: Right. Yeah. And those final, like, oh, you know, told you so. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> You're right. So, so, you, know, and, you know, you just got a feel for Steve. I mean, he's done this for so long and knock out maybe the kind of success he deserves or that he worked for. Um, you, you know, you you talked to the guy in his shop. he oh, yeah. hours in there. Yeah working it. it's him and jock and it, it's you know it's and then you got matt smith who's done an amazing job not just with his bike with angie's bike with scotty's bike all the bikes that they lease i mean the, the guy's kind of energizer bunny when it comes to that but uh, you know maybe does that take away from his effort i wonder you know what his concentration level is going to be you know in, in pomona he's got all these other you know fish he's got to deal with
0: that's a fact and speaking of other fish to deal with in a pro stock car um you know this is just going to be Uh, like an Orwellian type of story being played out. You know, I guess it's what's funny is, it's not the question of who's going to be the number one qualifier in pro stock, it's who's going to be the number 16 qualifier that we're all going to be watching.
3: Right, I I mean, those guys did such such an amazing job at at Vegas, of course, you know, they had a lot of guys to get there, but to lock up 14, 15, and 16 spots, so no matter where, you knew he was going to be one through three somewhere, um, you know, and then, you know, to to, to take him out, just, just like they planned, it was a strategic, you know, nuclear strike right on him, and so, We'll see. interesting to see what they do this weekend. I'm sure they'll have the same kind of thing. Will he fight back? Will, will he get try to get you know, Dallas Glenn and, and Kyle Kresge to do the same thing? I don't know.
0: Yeah, that, and that's going to be really, I think that's going to be the major tell. The major tell is absolutely 100% going to be, you know, we know what's going to happen with Elite, right? We know that at least what we saw in Vegas is everybody kind of worked in lockstep there, and the, the, the relationship between the Elite cars and the KB cars is different. It is, a, it is a different style relationship. I'm not sure that the same conversations happen between, you know, Richard Freeman and those teams versus Greg Anderson and those teams. And I do feel like there is an esprit de corps amongst the the KB guys. I know that, you know, racers like Matt Hartford, while they're not a dedicated team car, do feel that they have a, they, uh, not a duty, but they have a great relationship with the team directly. So uh, to, to see how each of these guys allocate their resources, so to speak, is going to be absolutely it's going to be absolutely interesting, and I think the only way you really do this correctly is in the first round. You almost have to be the slowest, and then try to pick your way up, depending on what the other cars do.
3: Right? Yeah, because you know, I number mean, were you know, you know, Greg will probably be, you know, again, one, two, three. Erica, you know, could be anywhere. You know, she's obviously be in the top half, but it, it'll be hard to, to, for them to, to fight back the same way. Um, but yeah, as it, to your point, yeah, you know, that is pretty Corb. You know, you know, Dallas, Lynn, Kyle. You know, Matt. They all want Greg. And it's been so long. It, it, you forget it's been so long since Greg's won a championship. I mean, twenty ten. I mean, that just doesn't seem even real.
0: Um, it's an absolute fact. And, and also, I think those guys look at those guys look at Greg as someone who has given them the ability to do something that maybe they never thought they'd have the chance to do. They all worked very hard to get there, but when we see. Young guys, especially at Dallas Glen, I, I think if anybody, if Greg looks him in the eye and says, "You know what to do," I think that's a guy who certainly knows what to do. <laughs>
3: right, right, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, and we know Dallas can get it done. I mean, he's yeah. the, you know, it's killer on the tree. Double know, O Dallas. Um,
0: how long has it know. been? I mean, how long has it been since Erica has had another racer to that can almost do what she does? And I say that in the in the in the stance of, or in the in the scenario of. This is one of the rare people we've ever watched that, when it comes time for a final round or a big round, you can almost put money on the bank. He's going to be double O, and he's going to be deep, yeah. and he's going to be deep double O. And I feel like it's been a while since Erica has had somebody like that to contend with.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Tanner Gray is probably the next closest yeah. person. You know, that, not all that long ago, twenty twenty eighteen. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's guys that, that that can you know cut a double O, you know, when, when they try or or, or or when the cards fall the right way. But you know, these guys can do it consistently and you know erica has, has proven time and time again she can do that but dallas is just you know another word when you know wins to peak on a perfect light and then just you know, he, he's just done it all along he, he's really really a force to reckon with on the starting line and, you know, and don't think she doesn't know that
0: oh she does you know? and, and everybody does they're all on notice which I, which again makes this even more interesting i think in the uh, at the end of the day and we go to the nitro funny car category and and you know, as long as I've been not even involved in drag racing, as long as I've been a fan of it, I mean this season has just been something else. I mean, it really is it it is the best of the best in what you want out of this class, which should be the most kind of unpredictable, should be the most wide open thing, and as it turns out it is.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean it's, it's 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 been back and forth. I mean, all the classes have been really good. You know, we talked about top fuel and look at funny car. We had what, nine different points leaders in the middle of the season. Yep, that's never it's just been good back and forth and and, and to not have Matt run away with the bike thing and to have Angel back in the hunt, you know, it, there's just such a great season.
0: It really is. And you know, Matt Hagen, um, you know, Matt Hagen's response in the first round after he lost in Vegas, and uh, I think Amanda Busick's question was, "How do you come back from this?" And and he didn't even have to think about it. The, the first, his immediate response was. I don't know if you do come back from this, and it speaks. Yeah. To, and it speaks to just how wacky it's been all year. It's not the old "we'll get him next week." I believe in Dickie Vandevils, which of course he does. But his immediate gut reaction was, "I think that might have been it."
3: Well, I mean, that whole first round was was just just crazy. Oh man. yeah, force like force forced getting out and you know, to these guys that you know have never won <laughs> around. You know, first, Merle picks out John Force, me, Chad Green, It's like these guys, you know, made made their, made their year, maybe made their career. You know, and and these guys, you know, the only good thing for those guys was they all did it together. Other than you know, than Ron Caps, um, you know, and you know, Cruz saved everybody had a little pain by beating Caps in the final. But that that just watching that unfold, and it just goes to prove, you know, on any day anything can happen. You just don't know. You know, you get a get a warm track like we're going to maybe have in Pomona. All bets are off.
0: Yeah, and and again, the the conversation centering around these three guys that can win the championship. But when we talk about the number of guys that could win the race, I mean, we're going to have twenty funny cars there, and I'm not counting like I'm not counting eighteen of them out. You know what I mean? I mean, we look at what Jim right. Campbell did. Jim Campbell on a blazing hot weekend when we ran the Winter Nationals in August yeah. made a, made a semifinal round there, and he almost made it look easy doing it.
3: Yeah, yeah I mean, You know, you just we've seen it all. We've seen, you know, seen guys like you know Bob Gilbertson win out of nowhere. Bob Bob Bodie, you know, it, it can happen to anybody. And, you know, I I think that every single one of those guys, they all know that. And, you know, that kind of thing even gives hopes to the guys that are, you know, that that are kind of almost mathematical. You know, the J.R. Todd's and the John forces You know, don't don't give up. Don't pull the shoot too early.
0: Yeah, and and the reality is there's no real – these cars are so unpredictable as it is as far as trying to dictate any sort of qualifying strategy, it's pointless. I mean, in these yeah. cars it just is would be suicidal, especially when you got 20 cars here, you're really kind of playing with fire. So – I, I think it makes it almost more compelling when we know that everybody's got to come out there and give it their best shot from from the jump on on Friday qualifying, and you know just to speak to a little bit of that point, uh, as we continue to see these announcements made and people shift around and and allegiances and alliances and and teams move around, these this race we're going to watch is almost a microcosm of why that's great because nobody has beholden to anybody but themselves.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's going to be, like I said, the subplots. Are just you know just start, they're all you know maybe some of the listeners of your podcast don't know it all but there's there's a lot of stuff going on a lot of pieces being moved around that uh, when all these announcements are going to make you're going to go oh I get it um, you know why was this so important I get it now so uh, it's just you know if if uh, if you could have scripted better I don't know how you could
0: yeah I don't know I don't know how you could either and uh, during our SEMA show interviews which I talked to I believe pretty much every single person at the SEMA show over the <laughs> over the course of three days. The one thing that, that drivers kept coming back to, the ones that have made announcements that they're moving, the ones who haven't yet but are thinking about it and everything else, the one thing they all kept coming back to was how, oh, we kept our crew. We kept our crew guys. We had a meeting, and we kept our crew guys. And for me, it's a unique scenario because, you know, year on year, since I've been involved in HRA, it's been less about the teams keeping their crew guys and the crew guys keeping their teams. You know, we've, we've put the shoe on the other foot, and it speaks – it's way more interesting when the shoe is on the foot it is now, when when these teams have to look at these employees and look at them in the eye and say, you're staying, right? It's a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. I
3: mean, and, and we can see what happens. Look, with, you know, with Cruz Pedregon this year, he gets John Collins and Rip and the guys, and, you know, it turned his ear around. He, he's You know, how many guys that have, have tried to tune Cruz's car over the last four or five years, including himself? You know, Aaron Brooks, Lee Beard, you know, he go down on the list. And you just hit the right chemistry. And obviously, you know, that car that that, that uh, J.C. And, and Rip had for Tommy was a great car. I almost won the championship in 2020.
0: You raise, so, you raise an excellent point there because it shows that you can have the smartest guy in the world at the top of the food chain. But if he doesn't have a good supporting cast with him, it doesn't make a difference what he's doing.
3: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it's really... You know, it used to, and it just it used to be too. The crew chief got a lot of the thing. Oh, it was, it was, you know, it was the crew chief. It was Austin Coyle. Austin Coyle didn't do that alone for John Force. You know, if if the guy's not putting the the rods in right, or you know, whatever, it's just it's it's a whole team package. And when you get that synergy between some guys that really really work well with the crew chief or the car chief, and they're all on the same page and they're all pulling together, it, it makes a huge difference. So I think that's, you know, you you try to see these units stay together. I mean, you know, I think all all drugness guys, you know, left with him to go over to Brittany. Um, it's important to have that 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 you know the discrete accord, that teamwork, that camaraderie, that understanding that you know the guy on your right is doing the right thing. You don't have to worry about him.
0: And, and this goes back to our top fuel conversation we started with, and of course I'm referencing Steve Torrance's team. And you know because you have such great historical perspective, and be, and because you have seen, you know you've seen these things firsthand over the course of the last couple of decades. You know, in your mind, and I'm not, I'm not handing him the title yet because he does have to show up and qualify and, and earn it with, without any sort of catastrophe happening, but um, likely we'll be talking about Steve Torrance as a four-time champion and a consecutive four-time champion. Where does this place him, in your mind, with the great runs that the Amatos had or the Bernsteins had or, or even that the, the Perdomes had back in the day?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, to be a four-time champion in top fuel has only been, what, two guys, you know, Schumacher and Amato and not all that many people across all classes. I think it's. I think he'd be the eighth, I think, that's one fourth straight. Um, he, you know, we did that uh, top 50 racers list in 2000, and, you know, Big Daddy was, you know, arguably on top, right above the fourth. Tony Schumacher wasn't on that list. Steve Torrance wasn't on that list. If you had to redo that list now, where would those guys be? I mean, Steve Torrance has proven himself to be one of the great top few racers of all time. He's, he's unflappable behind the wheel. You know, Hogan and, and Bobby are, are tuning the car, and it's just—it's almost flawless.
0: It really is. It really is. And and another kind of historical perspective question that that I posed to McKenna, but I'd also like your take on it is if Ron Caps is able to close the deal on Sunday, it, to me it changes the whole prism of his career. I mean, the guy's obviously he is a champion, so that that'll never be taken away from him, but. He, he is a guy that we all feel like should be a multi-time champion. So if he's able to lock up the second one, I think it puts him on an even higher pedestal than he stands on now.
3: Absolutely. I mean, there's a guy like, you know, the guy like, you know, not quite like Steve Johnson, but a guy that's been doing this, you know, since the 90s and has only one championship to show for his credit and, you know, and no U.S. Nationals wins. You know, this is the guy that, you know, hasn't gotten as much as I think he deserves or as, as his talent has proven. And to go, I think, to go from, you know, one time champion to two time champion, I think that makes a big difference in his mind. I mean, a lot of people, obviously, I respect him. He's a great wheel man, you know, clutch. You know, I don't think, again, you don't ever see him choke. But to have that second title, have that second trophy on his shelf, I think it's going to mean a lot to him and will go a long way to further cementing, you know, his legacy in the class.
0: Yeah. And he's coming in there with, uh, again, we talk about an experienced crew that's been around a long time. And, and you know, Guido and John uh, helming that, that team, they have great. Great synergy, as you said, they have that that unspoken ability to just work with their head down and get the job done and not be overwhelmed by things that may be or may not be happening around them. Um, you know, for you, I, I want you also to give me some historical perspective on this. We've been alluding to it because we have to allude to it because none of it's been announced yet. But, you know, in the let's say in the last 10 years, in the last 15 years, is this the most potentially exciting offseason we've had in a decade plus?
3: Uh, it really is. I mean, there there's a time there in the 90s where people were shifting around, but it seems like for the last I don't know 10, 15 years, dozen years, you, you pretty much knew what was going to go on. There wasn't a lot of changes going on. Maybe a, a crew chief here and there, a driver here and there, but just the, the sheer amount of stuff that's 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 already been announced that that, that we you know the insiders know is going to happen. And there's stuff that that even guys like you know you and I who feel we're pretty plugged in that we still don't have answers to. Right. So. um, yeah, I mean, it, it, there, there's still some dominoes to fall even in our world, but I think the fans are really going to enjoy uh, the shakeup, and I think it's going to put some new new people into new places of power, and you know, maybe increase their potential to you know, in one driver's case, maybe win the first championship next year.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, I think when I talked to guys that have been around a long time with the Winter Nationals, you know, coming up in February, that used to be, oh, that's where the new cars debut. And, you know, we've moved to an era where the new cars debuting is more about, you know, the new sponsor wrap as opposed it is to some new innovation in chassis technology or, or things of that nature. But I... I the the race gains a lot of cachet back to me when it's when it's something new debuting and and the reality is it's going to be less about the cars and more about the people and what uniforms this guy wearing and who's this guy working for and why did this actually happen and you know the interpersonal rivalries in this sport of what built it you know that as well as i do whether it's from match racing or shirley versus or shirley versus uh you know uh don garlitz during our, our national events or any one of them and when you take all these teams and split them apart, it seems very scary to a lot of people, but I think it is the best possible path forward for our sport to rebuild some of that personal rivalry, to be, rebuild some of that interpersonal tension That what, it, what's what makes this so exciting.
3: Yeah, I, I, there's going to be a lot of people, you know, you, you know, next year when, when Liam Mack came out with and Tony Stewart Racing, you know, was that a good decision for them? You know, you know, well, what, what if they go out and they and they they don't perform as well as we think they could? You know, well, people will people be second guessing them? What like if they go out and they kill it? People are like, wow, should have left DSR a long time ago. You know, you know, Ron Cash is, you know, how's He' gonna do. You know, what's all, all this stuff that's going on? The different crew chiefs' movements. It's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting. It won't be just looking at new sponsorships on cars. That's for sure. And that was, to your point, that was the big thing of the Winter Nationals. I'd go out there. You know, back in the day, and I I couldn't wait to see the new paint schemes or the, the, the new body style, you know, those have not been the case lately because everything's pretty much been status quo, but now it's all about people and personnel. And, and and those are the kind of assets that people look at. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding, you know, when you fired that car for the first time at Pomona. So I think we're all going to be on pins and needles to see, you know, what what's the result of all of these moves.
0: Yeah. And, and one last point on that is, is, you know, these, these interpersonal rivalries or team rivalries, whatever you want to call it, they sometimes get built in very quiet ways they sometimes come together in ways that we don't or the general fandom doesn't see and to me the way that some of these things are going to get built and some of this simmering tension is going to come up over the winter is the fact that a team likely is team uh needs to find a lot of crew people and they want to find good crew people and the good crew people are the ones that have already been doing this for a long time and they're going to come from other places which you know, when, when you get the poaching game going, people get really angry very quickly. When you lose an experienced clutch guy, let's say, or you you lose an experienced bottom-end guy, all of a sudden you look across the racetrack and you think, the whole team looks across the racetrack and grits their teeth, and they want to to claw the eyeballs out of those guys. And and frankly, it's been, because it's of the nature of the business and how things have gone the last several years, there's been a level of comfort there. That comfort's gone. It's gone. Oh,
3: absolutely. I mean, I think that team owners – and drivers more than ever, you know, realize the value of that. That bottom-end guy, you know, he's not doing his job right. We all know what happens. You know, the, you know, the rods are off the side. Yeah. Of course, get something. And and the guys that have proven themselves, that have been there, that have been in the trenches, that, that can do it on the quick turnaround. They can do it in the heat. They can do it in the cold. Um, yeah, I think those guys are, are a hot commodity. And, you know, they're, they're probably, you know, I don't say finally getting their due, but but people know and the drivers know that they can count on that guy and the crew chiefs know they can count on that guy. And thus the team owners, and so you get that bidding war. You get that, you know. You know, I, I want that guy. He's really good. I've heard he's really good. I want him. And you know, try to assemble that all-star cast. But you know, to the point earlier, a lot of these guys have loyalty. You know, you know, Dave Grobness guys. You know, I think are super loyal to him. Uh, you know, Dickie Bamble's guys, same thing. Um, so, so it's interesting to see see what that those dynamics will be next year. You know, what kind of poaching goes on? You know, you know who's going to be the crew chief for this guy? Who's going to be the crew chief? Who's going to lead who? who's going to shock us. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff to look forward
0: to. Yeah, a ton of stuff. Phil, thank you for taking the time, and uh, I know you're excited. I'm excited. It's just uh, it is a very kind of electric time to be around uh, To be around NHRA drag racing, and it's only, uh, it only appears it's going to get even crazier after the race is over. So I can't wait to see you out in Pomona, man. Sounds yeah,
3: good, man. I'll see you out there. Thanks, Phil. Thanks,
0: Brian. All right, so our final guest on this episode of this NHRA Insider Podcast, our third of the three wise men. Tony Pedregon, how you doing, man? Good, good day, Brian. I got I got McKenna on first. I got Burgess on second. You're uh, you're hitting third here, man. Power hitter slot. You gotta you gotta deliver. Oh
1: man, no pressure. You bringing Pete <laughs> Rose up to the plate, huh?
0: <laughs> Charlie Hustle. So let's, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about what we got going on coming in, into this race. And, you know, I, I talked to Phil about it because Phil's seen a lot of these these finals and, you know, he's kind of excited off the charts. I know I'm excited off the charts. And, and this thing has the potential to really, um, really be spectacular.
1: Well, I think so, Brian. I, I think that's what it's all about. You know, that's what the countdown is. I, and Over the years, I've heard, you know, some drivers and, of course, uh, you know, plenty of critics out there that. You know, you love it or hate it, but, you know, when it's all said and done, it's created the excitement that it was intended to create, uh, to draw people in. And, you know, I've always been pro countdown uh, from the start, not just because I was a racer, I was involved with it, but because I follow sports, you know, I'm a big NBA fan. I like boxing, watch the NFL. Hey, there's nothing like the playoffs. You know, it's all about getting people excited, getting them to tune in. And, you know, when you talk about our sport, you know, I've always felt, especially when I made the transition from, you know, from racing to do, to doing this, you know, I, I know it took me a while to, you know, to catch on and figure things out, but, you know, I always felt that, you know, this sport deserves so much more. I think the on-track product is, you know, is far more impressive than what most people realize. And, you know, and it's our job to, you know, to bring it, you know, to bring it to light and try to try to get them, encourage them to come and see it one time. That's all we need is one time. So I think I think everything that is surrounding this final race is is not good, but great.
0: It, it really is. And, you know, I, I want to kind of go a little bit maybe from the top down here, at least in terms of a uh, elapsed time. And, and you know, top fuel is the is the category that's that's further spread. We know that. We know that Steve's uh, out there for a far enough distance that he just needs to do very basic, basic things to lock up the title. But I'd much rather talk about, the battle for second because Mike Salinas all of a sudden is within spitting distance of Brittany force. And it's almost shocking to say that, right? We, it, to say that out loud is stunning because we spend so much time talking about the monster car, the flavor pack car. We've spent not that much time talking about Salinas's car, but here he is. Yeah.
1: You know, I think most of us, even including Mike is probably thinking, you know, what if, what if this could have started at the beginning of yeah. the year? I mean, We, we may just, we may be having a complete, completely different conversation, but you know, I, Brian, you and I talk, uh, you know, we go over these scenarios with, uh, you know, Steve, Pete, the producer and, and, uh, you know, we kind of weigh in on, on what we think who's going to make a run. Is anyone going to make a run at Steve? And, you know, the answer was, yeah, they could, but you know, not likely. I mean, Steve just, you know, he's so consistent, um, you know even when they're down and out you know they're getting to the semifinals or winning races but you know my pick was Justin Ashley I mean I I think and I think Justin is going to be a big factor I think he's still going to be a top 5 car top 5 driver without question even with you know the addition of you know Tony Schumacher coming out I think Colette is going to be stronger and you know, if you think about Doug Coletta, I mean, he's, he's actually run pretty good the last couple of races. So I'm not going to be real surprised to see him jump up and challenge a couple of guys get into some late rounds, but, um, you know, I, I just, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I saw Mike, uh, over the weekend, uh, he and I attended the nitro revival. It was a great turnout, a lot of, a lot of old timers and, and it was just good to see, but, it was nice to see Mike, you know, kind of strutting around there. And, you know, I saw him and got a chance to talk to him. And, you know, the first thing I told him was I said, Hey, Mike, you know, good job. Told him I'm going to say something in Spanish, you know, for the, you know, for the, what we call the, la raza. <laughs> and, and uh, I just, you know, when I saw him, I thought, man, here's a, here's a guy that's really turned it around, you know, and I think, uh, I know he's given a lot of credit to, you know, to Jose Gonzalez, but, you know, people find that within themselves, you know, they can, you know, they can give all the credit to, you know, to something or someone else. But, you know, I think Mike, um, I think he was he was in search of, of making some improvements, you know, as a driver. I think he understood that, uh, you know, he had a good car. It's been pretty good. Uh, you know, at times it didn't have, you know, all the consistency, but, you know, when, when a driver's good and can win you a few races here and there, like Justin Ashley's done, you know, all of a sudden he gives – gives the tuner a couple more opportunities to get things right but i just think that mike's clicking you know alan is clicking as always uh, but you know it'll, it'll be interesting to see if he can if he can make a run on Brittany. and you know i think you know of course britney's not mathematically out of it but she's gonna have to do something spectacular and she's gonna have to hope that steve breaks um not likely that somebody's just gonna outrun him in the first or second round but um, they're really going to have to throw up a hail mary, but um.
0: you know, and I think, and I think for Brittany's team, and for her, for her specifically, I think in the event that they lose that second place spot, in the event that that Salinas goes a round or two further than they do on Sunday, that's a demoralizing thing for the amount of work that they've done this year, and for as fast as that car has run, to not be runner up, which is not where anybody wants to be, but less so third. Um, I, I think that would be a tough shot. And you mentioned something that I'd like to elaborate on a little bit too, where it's like you know Mike needed to find it in himself, which I guess we can say the same thing that she needs to find that whatever he did, she needs to find it. But is this a, is this a situation where like in the off season you go down and you, you humble yourself and you go to Frank Holly School and you start doing you start to like go back to basic fundamentals? Is that how you fix this? I mean, I don't know. And it's not necessarily something that needs to be wholly fixed, but if we're talking about somebody who is a 65 average or a 70 average versus an 85 to 89, we might not be talking about her in second place.
1: Well, you know, Brian, I'm no neuroscientist, uh, as you well know. I'm (laughs) a psychotherapist, but, you know, I raced for a long time and I really believe that I really believe it's it's a state of mind. I think I think the majority of it is mental, and, and here's why. And I think I can back this up. If you look at if you look at the pattern, if you look at the good drivers that came into the sport, um, and that came from let's take it Justin Ashley. Justin Ashley from the day he sat in in a seat of a race car, he was good. Okay, it might not have been the best car, but he sure as heck won the first race that he ran an injected car. So he was always good. And there are some other drivers that get in these cars, and, you know, they're good initially, and then they kind of fade away. Um, but you can go back to, to the Spencer Masseys, and, um, I mean, you can, go, you can go all the way back. I mean, you look at Caps, you look at Cruz, all these drivers that came from, um, you know, predominantly the alcohol, you know, categories. But, but really, in, in any level prior to them getting in, in one of these, you know, what they call big show cars, they were always good. And they're still good, so you know it's. I think it's a hard argument when you know when they're going to say, well, the car doesn't react, um, you know, because for the most part, the tuners they they know what they can do to get the car to respond quicker, and and there's not a lot, you know, there's not yeah. a lot. They, there's yeah. you know there's some you know some things you can do with the airflow and the injector, um, but anyway, my point is is that you know I I think that um, you know some of these drivers are just good, and and I think. You know, for Brittany, um, I think that she's a very solid driver. I think she she has good car control. I yeah, think she, she she is, does not well,
0: make any of those mistakes. She does not get herself over her head at
2: absolutely.
1: Yeah, and while I mean, it's you're throwing her in the in the ocean with sharks, you know, literally. And and I'm not. I mean, hey, this is a driver that has a championship, and and that wasn't an accident. But I mean, there are a lot of good things about how she operates, how she carries herself as a driver. Um, the one thing is, that she could improve on is her reaction times. If she can do that, well, you know, she's probably going to have the best car again next year, like she has this year, um, you know, pound for pound. And and if she can fix those things, then, you know, this is, this is a whole different scenario, different story.
0: Let's move into Nitro Funny Car because um, of any of these categories, I think, you know, really – all three of them, funny car, bike, and in pro stock car, you know, are all kind of in the same boat. Now, caps has more breathing room than than any of these other three categories, but even his breathing room is is not much. um When you look at, you know, obviously Cruz is the outside shot here. Caps leading the points, and Hagen and Hagen trailing fifty eight back. Does that fifty eight back feel big to you, or does it feel achievable to you for Hagen?
1: No, it's very achievable. Uh, and I think Ron, he's been in this situation before. I mean, you're talking about a guy that has one championship, you know, over the last 20 something years that he's been with some pretty good teams. And that's that's not taking anything away. Ron Caps has always been a very solid uh, driver. Uh, but I guess my point is, is that he has finished in that runner up position. And I know exactly how he feels because you do it you know, the first time in, early in your career when you finish second. It's like, wow, that's a great feeling. And, and, then, and then the second time and then the third time and it's like man third time it's not so special <laughs> you know it's not so shiny and I think that's what I think I think that's the reason that, that Ron is being so aggressive I think that's why he's so sharp um, and he has been over the last few races and what it's really come down to is if you go back at the last several races and I, I've done this on paper I mean Ron Caps has won some big rounds that have yes, made the difference Yes. You yes. know, and we call them, Brian we call them championship rounds. Yeah. Because because you can go back, you can go back and single out any race throughout the course of the year and say, man, that was a big that was a big one right there. But when you get into the championship, that is that's where the driver that's where he's really tested. That's where you you can you're going to see if they can hold up to the pressure and how they work under that pressure and really the the competition ratchets up. And if you look at Kath, I mean, Higgins won some pretty big races, but, you know, you go back and, you know, you can't ignore what Tommy did for Matt, you know, when he was out with COVID. Yeah. I mean, Tom, Tom, and the car ran good. You know, a lot of, a lot of credit to Dickie to that team. But, but, you know, Tommy came in and he won some close races and some close rounds. And, and yeah, we're not know, even, we're not
0: even having this conversation if it's not for Tommy Johnson, Jr. We're not even having Yeah.
1: It. yeah. Yeah, and, and if, so what he did was pretty spectacular, but what the manner that he did it in was even more impressive. So, so, you know, Caps has had some big races. Hagen has had some big races. Cruz, go back to the last race. I mean, you can call it what you want, but, you know, I've always said you're going to have to do something pretty spectacular, and I think the fact that Cruz was able to get through, and you go back to the first round when he got close to the block, You know, he had a double O four, I think, against task in the semifinals. And it's like, those are the things that make a difference. So with these three drivers coming into this last race, you know, I, am sure Cruz is thinking the same thing because you know, they've got nothing to lose. They're here, they're in the conversation. It's Ron's to lose, but we've talked about this, you know, for, for the last 10 races and funny car, when you get to that second round, anybody can get outrun and get flat out out a beat. Cruz is going to need some help, but it's very doable because when you look at the spread, it's less than two rounds right now. Yeah. Now Hagen, if he if he out qualifies Caps, he can keep that within two rounds. If if Caps if they flash if they get some of those bonus points, now we're talking three rounds. So qualifying is going to be going to be pretty important for him.
0: Absolutely is, and you mentioned the second round in Funny Car, and and all of us were laughing you know, at the end of the day on Sunday at Vegas because we had all looked at that ladder on Sunday morning and all of us went, man, this second round is going to be unbelievable. And totally, <laughs> totally, you know, not not listening to any of the lessons any of us have learned in this sport over the years. We all looked at that ladder and thought, boy, oh, boy, wait till we get to round two. And it's like, didn't have Chris Morrell pinned in there, didn't have, you know. <laughs> so our, yeah. uh, our our great intentions of round two went up in smoke. And, and, and honestly, we got 20 funny cars here in, in Pomona a ton of the independent cars. And as we have seen, you know, whether it's by hook or by crook, these independent cars can and will step up to slap people around when, when necessary.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure we're going to see see some of that. But we're going to see – I think we're going to see an all-out war, uh, you know, like we saw, I, I know, 06, 08, um, you know, when it came down to Cruz and Wilkerson. I mean, there there have been some pretty good ones, some that are pretty epic. But I don't think – I don't think any of them are going to compare to this. Um, it'll be interesting to see if this measures up to some of the great ones that we've seen during the countdown era. You know, you mentioned
0: all-out war, so that brings us to Pro Stock because it, it not only is it an all-out war, it's an all-out war that actually involves two armies. I mean, you have two teams that are effectively fielding about a half dozen cars apiece. Whether the alliances are locked together or the alliances are looser, um, still it will be KB versus Elite, and we saw round one of that in Vegas. When it happened in 2019, it happened at the very last race, so there was no follow-up. Well, now there's a follow-up act, and I cannot think of any more kind of wild thing that we're going to see at this race than what actually plays out in pro stock.
1: Well, you know, Brian, let me say this. Let me just start um, start this by saying that here's here's something that I think that people miss out on and you know of course this is my opinion everybody's entitled to theirs um but you know I, I look into this stuff quite a bit and i dig in pretty deep and and here's i think there's two there's a couple of things at play um i get it i mean hey freeman called me um like he said um uh, pretty sure he left the he hung up on me detail out and um I think in a roundabout kind of way he threatened me, but you know, hey, he ain't the only thug in town. I'm I'm okay with all that. I I actually like Richard. You know, when I was racing, I had my rig broke down, going to a race, and and um, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but I think it was in Texas. You know, pretty close to where Freeman's business was. Somebody gave me his number, and hey, he didn't have to. I mean, he he provided a service. I paid him, but I, I like Richard, and I think what he does, you know, for the sport is great, but. Now, I got news for some of these guys that you know I I I run across some of these. I'm not saying all of them, but I I've run across this throughout my career, and I've learned that you know some people feel that they're entitled. Okay, so here are the two here are the two arguments, and I think this is this is what the people have to choose when they think about. Okay, in my opinion, this is not a team sport. This is a sport that has multiple cars sure in in on their team okay but i think that's confused and and here's the i'll try to make this short here's i think the negative effect that it has on our sport so i'm on the other side of the fence now okay i do analysis on the show and i'm going to do my job and i do report uh, to a few people and they're really the only ones that, you know, that direct me and tell me. Exactly. That have a direct
0: effect on our lives. Yeah.
1: You know, and what I'm, what I've been told is, is as long as I can back it up and Hey, I would, I would challenge anyone. I even offered to Richard, I said, Richard, why don't, why don't we have this debate on NHRA.com? You know, let's, let's see some of those brave words thrown out. um, You know, when other people can hear when other people can hear, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm all for that. I would do that any day whether I'm right or wrong Brian I would be willing to do that but here's the way I see it we work on the TV side and what what it's about for me and I think what it's about for the sport as a whole is ratings we need more people to tune into our shows if we have a million wouldn't you like two million okay so so that's let's say that's the goal okay now and I understand the other side because the other side of the fence you have a team owner And I've heard all the arguments. I've heard it all before. I've heard it a lot. And I know this goes back. I know F1 does it. NASCAR does it. But, you know, the NHRA has a set of rules that everyone works within. Okay, they have to, when when it comes to technical and mechanical aspects, they have to work within those rules. And, by the way, there is a rule. And that rule says no throwing races. Okay? Yes, I get it. Hard to enforce. But here's here's the problem. If if you have, let's say, let's take a football team. Um, There's somebody that hasn't won a dang game yet. okay? so when it comes down to the end of the year and this football team, they're going to intentionally lose the game. Why? Because they want the number one draft choice. Okay. now, if they do it in a way that is competitive, nobody really says anything. The critics don't. They're 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 not going to. They're not going to beat on the team if they lose a game it's 24 to 27.
0: Right. They didn't okay. put they didn't put the practice squad out there. They actually started with the they started the game with the starters.
1: Right. But but when they do when they do, you know, throw the their neighbors out there and the practice squad and they they get blown out, well that opens the floodgates. And when one of the players themselves say, "Yeah, we're going to throw this game." And by the way, we can do whatever the hell we want. Well, that's actually not true because that's very disrespectful to the sport and I got news for them. They might think they're getting away with it, but I think they're just poking the bear because that rule came into effect in 2007. Yeah. Okay. Because a lot of teams were doing it. So you really have to ask yourself, do you want this to be a sport that is tarnished in that way that comes down to the last couple of races and people are going to tune out because one guy may have more cars or more money than the next, because if you do that then well let's just give it to the guy with the most money and the most cars so that's not what this sport and the nature of this sport was built on so i i get both sides of the argument i understand it but I, you know i don't make those rules i'm just i'm just an analyst i just i just call what i see based on my experience what i know what we dig into a little bit and and when a driver says hey we're going to do whatever we have to um again i just think that's i think that's just a little disrespectful And, you know, and then it's always the audience and Brian, you and I do what we do because of them. I mean, we have a TV show. We want to provide the most honest, even at times, if it's brutally honest, we want to provide insight for them because that's what our job is. And I don't shy away from it. You don't shy away from it. And, you know, sometimes the, the team owner or the driver may not like it. And then it's funny because when we say something good and we say we say we say something that makes them feel good, Then it's like the opposite, but they've got to really take the good with the bad. And, you know, they have to they're going to have to contend with like the tech department and and the people within our organization that make the rules. I mean, you you and I, we're just sorry about that. We're just I'm I'm like I'm just telling you what the weather says. Right. So, yeah. and,
0: And that's and that's a great point. I mean, everybody's you know, if the radar wasn't up a little for Vegas the radar is going to be fully up as you said from either racing administration the tech department uh, the security guards clearly because that's been a problem a couple times with different teams this year you know everybody's gonna have um everybody's gonna have the radar up and it's going to be really interesting and you know you made a point and what I think is another kind of funny thing here is that you made the point that the rules made back in like 7 And the rule wasn't made for pro stock cars back then. It was made for the nitro teams because the whole category was effectively controlled by, like, three people. And so it's kind of funny that the pendulum has swung now to to this other category of the sport, which, you know, it's a a different way that pro stock is being raced. Now, I put a thing up on my personal Facebook page the other night uh, that was the finals – the NHRA finals in pro stock from 1995 and, and Steve Evans uh, and Ralph Shaheen were calling the race and you can go find it. Just, just go to YouTube and search pro stock. Oh, I've seen it. I think it's great. Yeah, I watched it's perfect. It. And I, and I look at it and you, I look at the way that, that Evans called that. And I, I simply put it on my own Facebook page to basically give a primer to any of my own, you know, followers that says, You know, we're going to talk about this, and for anybody who says they never talked about it before, here's the guy that's arguably the greatest personality TV or TV personality in the history of our sport, uh, calling a spade a spade. So when it happens again on Sunday, don't be shocked.
1: No, I I thought it was great, and and I think I think what we all want to see is we all want to see racing, and if it happens, it happens. But if it happens in a in a manner that doesn't look so obvious, especially when a driver comes out and says. Yeah, we're going to do it. Or oh, we're going to do whatever it takes. Yeah. That that's where that right there is where lies the problem. So, you know, I think I think uh anyone that wants to be critical of what you and I say, I think they're barking up the wrong tree and I think um I I think there's a great opportunity for all of these teams to play a role and by all means. I mean, I think the strategy and qualifying what elite did, I mean, you talk about nailing oh, it. Oh, it was unbelievable. And then, and then, And then what are the odds of that first round? I mean, that to me is, it's just, it's such a highlight and, um, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But, you know, I think the, um, you know, I think the team racing, I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's inevitable. It's there. It exists. There are all these cars and drivers under one tent, but, you know, stage the cars and leave and, don't make it look so obvious, you know, because if it does, I mean, you, I can't say anything. You can't say anything. So, you know, there, there you have it. But I think that, um, Hey, Greg's got a lot of pressure. I, I think that the pattern for most of these good drivers, I mentioned this a few times is that normally doesn't happen twice in a row, you know, for Greg, but I'm, you know, I'm real surprised. I mean, I think that Greg, uh, I was surprised that he didn't get to his hundred, you know, this year. And I think he's had the car, you know i think that i think that greg has put a lot of pressure on himself and you know he really doesn't have jason there you know it's now it's dallas glenn and it's kyle koretsky you know so that's you know it's not really the chemistry that 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 they used to have and you know and and dallas and kyle they want to eat your lunch too but you know erica is is amazing and uh, troy Coughlin junior what he did was oh <laughs> was yeah pretty he was Mind a, blowing.
0: it was a miniature version of Tommy Johnson Jr. you know what I mean that's what yeah. he did in a, in a very miniaturized way he did exactly what Tommy Johnson did by winning a whole race he did for Erica by winning that first round.
1: Yeah yeah and of course hey the young guys Aaron and Mckay hey I, I just I think I think it could be one for the books and hey we just nobody wants to see it tarnished and um, hey let's just have a good race go out there and um, hey no fighting you know this is racing. This is racing, so
0: we've had a couple Uh of unscheduled one rounders this year in the pits. Hopefully, we don't have that happen again. Or if we do, hopefully, hopefully we have a camera near it.
1: You know, and it's you know, I thought about that too, Brian. And I hope this. I hope I'm wrong about this, but I wonder sometimes if there's a little animosity with certain pro stock teams towards top fuel teams. You know, because uh, because you know, hey, the the funny cars and the and the top fuel dragsters. I mean, they're they're the um you know they're the show to some degree um but you know when i started doing this i mean my perspective on pro stock and pro stock bike it really changed within the first few months you know i I never really got to talk and got to know a lot of these racers in pro stock and pro stock bike like i have now and i think what they do is pretty amazing and you know i grew up partial to you know to nitro cars because that's what i was around and know, coincidentally, that's what I raced. I started in an alcohol dragster. And um, but I have a lot of respect for these guys. I mean, they they put just as much time, just as much money, just like everybody else. Anybody out there in any of these classes, they're shelling out millions. Yep. So, um, you know, hey, the more power to them. And I I just I think it could be uh, I think it could be just as good as funny car.
0: And then one last category to talk about is Pro Stock Motorcycle, another uh, very tight race here. We're talking about effectively 30 points uh, among the top 3 riders with with Smith, Johnson, and Angel being uh being in that top 3 and I'm just going to throw it out there just bluntly, who do you think walks away with it?
1: Well, I've got 20 bucks riding on Steve. You
0: do. But yeah, you got a vested interest.
1: <laughs> here's here's what yeah, here's what makes this and I'm giving him a buyout too. I'm, I can take 15 if he wants. I don't think he's <laughs> going to take the offer though. Well, here's the interesting thing. Here's, here's what makes this so hard to pick. I don't think that Matt Smith, I don't think you realize that Steven and Angel would be as close as they are coming into this race. Yeah. Probably. I don't know if anyone did. I, I don't, I didn't see Angel doing this because they got off to such a rough start, but when you really think about it, it's no surprise it's no surprise because you think about the depth and the amount of time and everything they invest. You got Matt, you got Andrew, you got Eddie, you have so much talent there that that's no surprise. And Steve Johnson, that you know, I think that he's coming off an okay race and he won. got a couple of breaks, but you create those breaks. Um, and I think I think the elevation you know, kind of held him back a little bit. I think that Steve has just as good a chance, as matt or on gel so i mean I, I think that i mean if i had to pick one if you're really going to put me on the spot i got to say steve because if steve starts qualifying and or uncorks one of those mid to low 70s i think that makes a statement and i think they have to chase him in the performance and if he can keep his machine together which he sure as heck was able to in vegas um i think I'm, i come out 20 bucks ahead after the race
0: I think you might be right. I mean that's what uh, you know that's what history has showed us and it's when it's when it's good for him it's good and when it's bad it can't possibly be any worse. So we'll find out which which Steve Johnson and which Suzuki show up here at these Auto Club Finals this weekend. Tony Pedragon, thanks for taking the time. A great conversation as always and certainly look forward to seeing you this weekend. It's going to be one for the books and as I said to the other guys, this even though it's the end of our season, this Auto Club Finals is the beginning of the off season, which in some way, shapes, forms, and fashions is going to be more entertaining than what we actually see on the racetrack. I mean, there is going to be some stuff happening that is going to blow blow people's minds if it hasn't already.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Brian. And, you know, I think one, one more thing just to provide a little insight, I think for the drivers that are involved, Matt, Steve, and Angel and, and Cruz and Hagan caps, you know, those guys have all been there before. Um, and, they, you know, and, and even even Steve and Brittany, I mean, they've had those battles, um, you know, and, and I, I mean, I know they've been enjoying it, but it's just it's one of those things that there's only one that's going to come out on top. And for that for that one winner in each of those categories, it really does make it that much more satisfying, gratifying when you have this kind of competition, you know, when you steamroll them and, you know, you're laying back and before the countdown, you know, by the time he got to Dallas, you know this guy's, you know, flo- he could be floating on a pool with a, you know, with an umbrella in his drink. <laughs> but it, I, I, I hope these drivers are enjoying it because, you know, I won a couple, I lost a couple, but I'll never forget the times. I just remember everything so keenly. I remember those drives. I remember the, the drive to the racetrack, waking up Sunday morning, and and um, you know they go through a lot. It's a lot of stress on them, but. Um, The great ones will rise, and uh, we'll be there, Brian. Look forward to seeing you.
0: Yeah, man. Thanks, Tony.
1: Talk to you again soon.
0: Well, if you did not leave these conversations or these different kind of uh, talks I had with Burgess, with McKenna, and Pedregon even more excited or informed about this NHRA Auto Club Finals, the final race of the 2021 Camping World Drag Racing Series, I don't know what else I can do for you. Love the way that each of these three guys approached it. Certainly, Tony giving some insight into what, uh, well, a little bit behind the microphone, if you will, what, what can be a topsy turvy job at times with our, uh, well, with the way we interact with the folks that we talk about. It can get real interesting, trust me. McKenna always informed. And of course, Phil Burgess has been a present part of so many big moments of NHRA drag racing. To hear him talk about these finals, what could be coming and is coming in the offseason. It should make your kind of uh, spidey sense tingle, should make the hair in the back of your neck stand up, and certainly should make you really pumped up for what's going to be an incredible drag race this weekend. FS1 qualifying coverage on Sunday morning, leading directly into eliminations. I should say Sunday afternoon on the East Coast. Elimination show will be 4 to 7 p.m. The qualifying show, 2 p.m. Eastern to 4, then 4 to 7 p.m. for final round eliminations. All four champions will be crowned. The season will be finished. The offseason will start. I know for a fact we'll have major breaking news on that show, some reveals, some information, some folks uh, kind of revealing where they're going and what they're doing next year. If there is a race that you do not want to miss, it is the one coming this Sunday. Epically thankful for everybody listening here to the NHRA Insider Podcast. It will be a postseason episode when we come back next week. who to thunk it? We made it through another one. Almost. Hope you enjoyed listening to this show. I certainly enjoyed making it, and I will be talking to you through your television set or your smartphone or whichever way you listen or watch as the NHRA continues and finishes in Pomona, California. Thanks so much, everybody. I'm Brian Loans, and I'll see you this weekend.